The Start On Demand. demand. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Loren McNabb back after a couple of days. Good morning, Loren. Oh, good morning. How are you? Doing okay, doing okay. Uh, You live out of town. We're able to see outside your front window yesterday. No, it was was the best thing. First, I was saying a couple weeks ago, the dog's the best meteorologist in the house because you open the door and when he's back inside looking he's split you know it's no good out there but you couldn't even see out the window yesterday and I was laughing when we woke up in the morning I opened the blinds and I couldn't see the neighbor's house which is like 20 feet away it was outrageous so it's been quite the man just another snow day in this house so uh, I'm hoping that the things are up and running and getting back to it again today. And Mackling, you went for your morning uh, steeped tea crusade, did you? Yeah, went went for a rip, as they like to say in southern Ontario, and uh, checked out at least one section of the north perimeter between Main Street and Wenzel. Welcome back, Loren, by the way. Nice to hear your voice. Uh, And it's not too bad at all. I mean, it's night and day versus what it was 24 hours ago. There's still some areas, some spots in particular in the interchanges and the off-ramps and stuff where they could use a little bit of a touch-up, but... Uh, the plows have obviously been out doing their job. There's barely a breath of wind. So uh, things are quite good on the perimeter highway and inside the city. I don't know about downtown, but in our corner of the city, they're really uh, already Sun Valley Drive this morning. There was an armada of equipment clearing the armada. bus stops. and uh, a di- <laughs> Good word. Yeah, thank you. Glad you like it. Uh, <laughs> they're cleaning the bus stops and getting Sun Valley Drive uh, back to its an appropriate width uh, because, uh, man, driving around yesterday, uh, you had to make some serious decisions about which streets you're going to take because uh, there was a lot of snow blown in, uh, even on major routes. So, uh, yeah, much, much better today. But yesterday was an absolute disaster. Yeah, downtown is, uh, seemed like all the streets have been plowed downtown, looked like all the sidewalks have been plowed. I mean, I, you know, I didn't go up and down every single street, but I was kind of scanning as it was going up Osborne and York and Fort and, and while I was in the cab this morning and it appeared they'd, they'd gotten to all of the sidewalks because yesterday some of the sidewalks were, were fine and some were not so fine, like the, the sidewalk in front of the legislature that leads sort of from Broadway uh, to the front of the legislature was completely snow drifted in. They had already cleared the, the other sidewalk on the other side that takes you back out to Osborne. So walking home yesterday was fun. Um, although it was weird because I, 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 I take the concourse as far as I can. You know, I go underground through Winnipeg Square and then I walk through the Skywalk system and, and the convention center is the last stop. And I walk out of the convention center in front of, uh, so I'm standing on York. And just standing there, it was so weird. It was like nothing was happening. It was complete shelter. You could barely even hear the wind. And then as soon as I walked out into the open, smacked in the face by winter. So I was, I was kind of hesitant to leave that spot yesterday. So I'm glad it's calmer, but this cold, this cold snap, like that overnight low tonight, Loren, down to minus 30. What did Kayla say? Minus 34. Uh, with the wind chill around minus 35 with the wind chill minus 45. I'm, uh, it's groundhog day today. I'm hoping for, uh, a better, a good prediction. I don't give a hoo-ha what that <laughs> rodent has to say or pop it when it comes out this morning. I just about caught, caught my first ever swear here on radio. So that only took three and a half years. Um, I need this to be over. Like I, like I'm trying to be a hardy Manitoban. It's not normally not a huge deal. I used to love snow days, but we've had I think eight or nine 
in our household between COVID protocols coming in and out of those and remote learning and all the rest. It feels like I've been in this house. Like I feel like I'm living Groundhog Day every morning when the alarm goes off. So I need that Muppet or whatever it's up to today to come out and be like, you know what? You got like five days of winter left, people. <laughs> five smooth. days of winter. Wouldn't that be a prediction? Bunks Marvin, Manitoba, whatever your name is. Are you listening? I'm done. <laughs> Marvin the most, I think, was uh, with Uncle Bob and Archie Wood. I think it's Manitoba Merv. I know. And the fact Merv. that he's a puppet, the fact that he's a puppet means there's a human making a decision on on the puppets, be, on Merv's behalf. So I, I sort of have a better feeling about about Merv's prediction than uh, Puxatawney Phil and all these. Uh, did Puxatawney Phil, one of them died, right? The one in Southern Ontario, I think. Let's take that away. turn there. <laughs> yeah, I got that sideways. Wireton Willie. Wireton Willie. Thank you. Puxatawney Phil is in uh, Pennsylvania. So, yeah, we'll hear from the groundhogs and the variety of different uh, prognosticating uh, rodents over the next uh, several hours here. I'm getting called out on Twitter uh, late last night. Deb, who listens to our, our show quite regularly, said uh, with a picture of her driveway, G-Mac, uh, did I hear you say you enjoy cleaning driveways this morning? Picture of uh, her drifted in driveway. And I said, let's not get things twisted, Deborah." I said, I'm happy to shovel my own driveway every day if I have to. Moisture, snow for the producers. Happy about that. So let's, yeah, I don't want to be inundated with uh, shoveling requests. I do not enjoy it that much. So uh, coming up today, we have much to discuss on what happened yesterday? It was such an awful day on the road. So coming up after Global News at 6.30, Loren, we're, we're talking to somebody who was stuck on the highway for 13 hours? Yeah, you've heard a few of his clips in the newsroom with Jeff. Uh, he was heading out, left his hotel in hopes of continuing his road trip uh, back west and got a few minutes into it from the sounds of things and realized, oh boy, he's in a situation. But there were dozens, if not hundreds, of people stranded yesterday for several hours. I know the WFPS and RCMP were still working around 7 p.m. last night, 8 p.m., to get out to people who were stranded and help them get to safety. So we got a lot of chats around this this morning. 6.30, we're going to talk to the man who was stranded on the road for 13 hours. Here's a question. Are you prepared to be in your car for 13 hours? We're going to talk about that later this morning with a driving expert. And we're going to also chat with the RCMP just after 7. What was the situation like out there? And can we do more? Like there were still people attempting to get onto the perimeter at 4, 5, 6, 7 p.m. last night, even though repeatedly officials had said this highway is closed. So is there something more that can be done when it comes to those closures on those major major thoroughfares? Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, I understand, and this I actually saw this come across as an urgent alert from our Newswire service from the Canadian press. The first <laughs> rodent has spoken. Oh, yes, Nova Scotia's celebrity groundhog, Shuba Nakati Sam, is predicting a long, cold winter ahead. Six more weeks of winter, according Stop to... Stop it, uh, Sam! Shubanakity. <laughs> and I was looking at the uh, Weather Network app this morning and I was reading a story that says uh, that we can expect several clippers to make their way across uh, the prairies Yay. this month. So that'll be fun. But in the meantime, the wind has died down, but there are still many parts of southern Manitoba where the drifts are high and the roads are in poor condition. Yeah, according to the Manitoba 511 uh, map, that's our 
uh, reporting system here in Manitoba. The website, uh, major highways like 75, 59, the perimeter and sections of the Trans-Canada are still snow-covered, Loren. Yeah, visibility might be low in some areas, depending on where you are as well. It's why we have a number of buses not running, school divisions closed, all the rest in rural Manitoba. It was around this time yesterday that our next guest was out on the number one before traffic essentially came to a stop. Number one at a standstill, the perimeter had a standstill, and 13 hours later, he was still stuck on the highway, along with dozens, if not hundreds of other drivers and cars. We're joined now by Murray Haas, and I'm hoping you got some sleep last night, Murray. Well, I tried. It was a little tough, but yeah, I got a few hours. <laughs> I felt bad even texting you, asking you to join us at this hour, but I know you're thinking about getting on the road again. Let's talk about your decision yesterday. You decided to hit the road early in the morning. Like, At what point did you think, uh-oh, this is, this is not looking good? Actually, probably since I turned on to the Trans-Canada, I see how much it was blowing, and there's already cars in the side. I said, well, no, i got to get off here, but I, I don't know this area, so I was lying on the GPS, and I seen there was a turnaround out couple kilometers I I got out there and I I thought I was going to be able to turn there was a a lady in the ditch right in front of me and I thought I was in the middle of the road and I pulled over I was going to try and see if she needed help and boom I went in so there I was and I was just around five o'clock in the morning ever rely on the GPS (laughs) I guess is is part of the moral here right Marie I couldn't see anything that was the problem so I tried to rely on to show me a crossroad where I could turn because it was a whiteout and yeah, it was a bad mistake. I shouldn't have been out there. I should have just stayed in the hotel and hunkered down, but you live and learn. Are you an experienced uh, winter driver, highway driver? Have you ever seen anything like oh, yeah. this? And, and what did you see, Marie? <laughs> I didn't see anything. About uh, I was doing about 5 to 10 kilometers an hour. I'm very experienced. I'm uh, early 60s. I'm from northern British Columbia, and we get severe weather, winter weather all the time in that day, but nothing like this where we don't get, because we're in the mountains, we get horrendous amounts of snow, but not the wind that was blowing so hard, plus snowing, and just the visibility, it was just zero in that day. And when everything cleared, well, it didn't really clear, but when it settled down later in the afternoon, I looked behind me and there was nine vehicles within 100 meters of me, and then there was three within 15 meters ahead of me that I didn't even see until, you know, bits of times when it was a little bit later. And what about uh, the stuff that you've got in your vehicles? I mean, I can tell you I don't have enough stuff in there to, to sit there for 13 hours. What kind of equipment did you have with you? Well, actually, uh, because any time I drive in the winter, my father gave me some good lessons. I always carry extra jackets. I had wool socks, uh, uh, you know, so I had all the winter gear that I needed. And also I had food and water. I always make sure I carry food and water. And I always tried to keep my tank at, at the minimum half. And I'd filled up the night before that because in the winter, you never know. This shows what could happen. So I had lots of fuel, which was a was a heart uh, saver that day. And then I made sure that I shoveled off the exhaust. I would clean the exhaust off regularly so I wouldn't get any carbon monoxide in there because that's important too. You know all the things to do, it sounds like, Murray, but was there at any point, and this is always a no-no, they always say stay in your car, but at, at what point, 11, 12, 13 hours in, do you think, how long is this going to go on for? Um, yeah, around probably the 11 hour, hour mark, I was, because I had been in touch with CA, they were pretty good contact about every hour and a half, and several times they said, well, they're waiting for the RCP to open the road, and then... 11 hours in, you see the east traffic going occasionally, but there was still nothing coming down ours. And then a plow went by, so that's a good sign. And then an hour and a half later, still nothing and nobody come by. So it started to settle down quite a bit then. So I got out of the car, and lucky this gentleman was going by and see me on the other side because I turned my lights on, I was trying to flash him. And there's a little crossroad, and he came by, and ironically, 
he had hit the ditch beside me at 10 after 5 in the morning. He was able to get out in his big four-wheel drive. He went on to work at Fortress of Prairie and like an angel. When he came back, he seen I was still there, and he couldn't believe it. So I grabbed my suitcase stuff, and he took me back in and dropped me off at the hotel here, and now I'm still waiting for my vehicle. So your vehicle is still in place there, Murray? Explain uh, what you know. Well, they, they called me last night. They said one tri, uh, CA driver pulled it out of the ditch, but he didn't have the ability to tow it here. So another one came and picked me up last night at 9.30 and said, we're going to get it. And then we headed out, and then we got stuck in because the, the semis were all, I guess they are still blocked, which we didn't know. We were stuck in that for about 10 minutes, and he was able to back up and get us out of there and brought me back here. And they told me they are going to contact me, but I haven't heard this morning yet. So I don't know where it's at, if it's still sitting outside of the road or what, so I'm going to try and find out. Oh man. Okay. So you, so you, who, it's basically, uh, you're sort of at the mercy of who knows how long. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, but I guess my, it's my own fault. You know, I shouldn't have never driven in it. So I just have to be patient and realize that, you know, you make mistakes and you just got to pay for the, for those mistakes. Well, Keith, thank you for sharing your ordeal and thanks for getting up with us this morning. We appreciate it. And Murray, I don't no, know why I... I keep calling you Keith. I'm sorry. That name is in my head this morning. Sorry. That's okay. Maybe it's Keith Urban. I don't know. <laughs> well, if you've got a number for Keith Urban, let me know. But in the meantime, Murray, I do not know why. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you both very much. Have a wonderful day. Loren, it, it has to do with a, a slightly lighter look at... Basically, what we were just talking about with Murray. Yeah, we were just talking to Murray about the fact that he was stranded on the highway for 13 hours yesterday. He admits, you know, he shouldn't have gone out there. He won't do that again. He, he left his hotel, thought he was good to go. Five minutes later, realizes, oh my gosh, I'm in a situation and was stuck there for 13 hours. He had all the things like water, blanket, uh, food. He was prepared. He had that winter kit ready. We want to ask this morning, if you were to be stranded, and we get that this can be a serious situation, but also just trying to have a little lighten the mood moment once we get all these rodents coming in, telling us how much longer the winter is going to last. We want to lighten the mood and ask you, what would you take with you? What would you like to have with you if you were stranded? And we don't want the obvious. We get that you'd want to have your cell phone and a cell phone charger and a shovel and a blanket and some water and, and all the rest. But if you could... What extra thing, like your dusty Doritos, Brett, would you like to have with you? <laughs> That's right, a big bag of zesty Doritos. Cam Poitras, what about you? Oh, wow, you guys are uh, talking about Doritos. I was going to have like an emergency rotisserie chicken somewhere oh! in the trunk. <laughs> uh, that's what I was going to pick. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just craving a chicken right now. But yeah, emergency rotisserie. Just got the go out back. The CAA marketing those now, Cam? Emergency <laughs> rotisserie be. chickens? They should be, yeah. Yeah, they refresh it every couple days. And, you know, they give it off to the dog dog food plant or something like that after it goes a little bit. But yeah, you'll always have a rotisserie chicken in the back. So yeah, I'm picturing yeah, you with like a, like a swirling spit, like over your heater, like trying to you got lot- this rotisserie chicken. <laughs> <laughs> you got lots of time to clean off all the bones too, so you know. Yeah, you know what? You make a good point, kind of Poitras. If you're in a food truck and you you get stranded, that's probably not a bad place to be. Uh, oh. So I like that idea. Uh, what about you, Forte? Generator, heated blanket. No. We no. Didn't know. I said no. not. The Did you? Were, were you no. not listening? No. Oh, I was listening, but I would also have a TV. <laughs> you got to plug the TV into something. <laughs> okay. You got to have the heated blanket. You want to be comfortable. <laughs> Maybe a little DVD player, a Blu-ray player. Got to hang out. You're gonna be stranded there for a while. 
Might as well get comfy. Okay, so it's not just to keep warm, but it's so you can get cozy. Yeah, and are we talking about winter or summer? Because in the summertime, I have to have a mini fridge. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a blender, some ice. Yeah. You know? How about a Slurpee machine? Some some virgin margaritas. (laughs) Uh, Mackling, what about you? Well, my brothers would say when we would go on road trips, there were three things that I was famous for coming out of the sea store with when we were stopped. And so I'd need a good supply of chocolate milk, mm-hmm. either the one liter jugs, or I actually prefer the four, the 500 milliliter cartons for some reason. Not really a big fan of the one liter jug. And then uh, also potato chips of some sort. Doesn't really matter just as long as they're not dill pickle. And, uh, of course, the combination package of the pepperoni and the cheddar cheese. Mmm, nice. You know, you, you get you get the uh, you get the pepperoni, the spicy, and yeah. then the cheese, and you go back and forth. That's my go-to uh, road snack. So I would need at least a gross of those in the in the trunk <laughs> to make sure that uh, all situations could be handled appropriately. Wouldn't you? How disappointed would you be though if the, if the pepperoni was frozen? Oh, that would not be a lot of fun. You just sit on it for a little while. It'll be fine. Yeah, just warm it up with your hands. <laughs> Heated seats. I was going to say, throw it in the, the blanket. Heated blanket. There you go. Put it in with the rotisserie chicken. <laughs> Loren, what about you? I've, you know, when we, we were when I was listening to all the coverage yesterday and thinking of all those stranded drivers, I've thought again, not for the first time, man, I am not prepared, right? So there's obviously all sorts of things like Fortier mentioned that you'd like to have to be seriously prepared. But if you are going to spend time out there and you are going to be stuck and you have all the other things to keep you safe and healthy and warm, I think I need like some sort of entertainment. I don't, and I used to always be really good for bringing my Kindle with me. Maybe I just need to have some old paperback novels in the trunk, you know, that you can just turn to, like those random terrible ones that you would never read. But now you're forced to read them and you're like, oh, I wonder who this guy is going to end up with as he's half naked on the cover with some girl in the <laughs> tropical island, like a Harlequin situation. Maybe that's the way to go. So here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868. If you were stranded... And we know, again, we're, we know that can be an obviously serious situation. But if there was, you know, that one sort of fun thing, you could reach into the glove box or the trunk, what would that item be uh, to help you pass the time and feed your 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 belly, feed your soul? 204-780-6868 for a chance to win the $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. Jacques with a practical solution, a portable biffy would be useful. Ooh, yep. Because yes. 13 hours, like even Abigail Turner, I don't know if you saw her report yesterday yeah. on uh, the 6 p.m. news, but she ended it with but saying time for a snack and a bathroom break because she was stuck in her car for a few hours. Well, that's just it. You don't know what you're going to need to do and how prepared you have to be. Even just toilet paper would be smart. Uh, one of our guests <laughs> is playing cards. And Gary said he heard a great story about a, a family stranded once, and forevermore he's always thinking he needs to have board games in the back of the car. So text us, what would you have in your car? Chance to win the $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we already heard from the Nova Scotian rat who says six more weeks of winter. And now as we look towards uh, Philadelphia, or Philadelphia, to Pennsylvania, Punxsutawney Phil concurs with Shubanakity. Did I say that right? Shubanakity, Sam? Yeah. 
You did a great job, Brett. Okay. Shumanakity Sam in Nova Scotia and Punxsutawney Phil in Pennsylvania say six more weeks of winter. And I understand Loren uh, Phil uh, has uh, now an ex named Phyllis. <laughs> yes, yeah, someone shared a meme. Meme of a groundhog with curlers in, standing there with their morning coffee, saying, hey, this is Punxsutawney Phil's ex-wife, Phyllis, who now lives in Florida, and she says Phil is a compulsive liar. <laughs> so keep that in mind. Don also sent one of a wolf yeah. earlier this morning, saying uh, something along the likes of, I heard what the groundhog had to say, so I ate him. <laughs> that was, that's how I'm feeling about Groundhog Day. The repetitive nature of life right now and about these winter forecasts. I know what the meteorologist predicted, a longer, maybe colder than normal winter. But for some reason, these rodents irk me. <laughs> I, I just picture uh, the groundhog riding on uh, Bill Murray's lap in the movie. Uh, when he tried, when he kidnapped him to try to kill the, the groundhog and end his cycle of, um, of purgatory. So... As we look towards more winter, uh, it's been a busy couple of weeks for snow days and whatnot. Yesterday was insane. South Perimeter Highway, much better now uh, than it was this time yesterday morning, Loren. Yeah, there was those howling winds, whiteout conditions, the heavy, dangerous drifting that forced Manitoba highways to close the perimeter for hours yesterday. And at, at one point, it was impassable. I saw some pictures where it resembled a parking lot, Greg. And we were hearing at least 100 vehicles were stranded well into the early evening hours. So we wanted to get an update on that and, and where things are going. Yeah, in fact, it's the second time in less than two weeks that the perimeter highway has been closed. Sergeant Mark Hume was working the highways yesterday and joins us now to tell us what he saw. Sergeant, thank you uh, very much, uh, not only for joining us this morning, but for the work you did yesterday. Do we know how many cars and, and maybe more importantly, how many people were stranded out there as, as some people may have found a way to leave their vehicles? Yeah, there was well over 100 vehicles, probably close to 200 people stranded out there at one time. Um, all of those were cleared up uh, by about 7 p.m. when we opened the highway again. Sorry, you said 7 p.m.? Yeah, about 7 p.m. they got the highway open and, and the vast majority of the vehicles uh, out of the ditch and going. There was a few that were left overnight, but uh, all the people had been had been rescued by that point. What kind of conditions were you seeing out there? Um, I wasn't right there myself but uh the guys that were on the perimeter said that the snow drifts were literally higher than the than the police vehicles um just massive drifting everywhere and on top of the ice that's why everybody was actually stuck it wasn't just the ice conditions it was the massive drifts that were physically stopping the cars from getting through so sergeant hume we know that the road was closed in the morning but we heard people were still trying to get on the perimeter hours later is there anything more that could be done in this situation? Like maybe, I guess you could argue some people didn't know that it was closed, but the conditions were really bad. Is there a way to add more of those crossing arms to, or gates to control the entrances? I mean, obviously you guys can't be out there at every single on and off ramp controlling the situation, but that was hours long closure. And still even at 6 p.m., I know you were putting out the call, people stop driving, do not go out there. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't know what the solution is. The the, the big gates were closed at the uh, at the major on ramps, but every every street coming out from from the city and every gravel road coming out from the rural onto the perimeter, there's just no way to close all of those. It's impossible to put barricades everywhere. Uh, we just encourage people to use the uh, uh, MIT highways highways map that shows what roads are closed, and then just try to respect them and, and stay off the road if they're closed. 
Yeah, we had uh, Tara Seal remind us that if you go out on those highways and uh, they are closed, uh, tow trucks aren't going out there. In fact, we know that the snow plows, if the highways are closed, uh, quite likely aren't going out on those highways either until it's safe to do so. What about preemptively? We had this discussion yesterday as well. Can you just walk us through the steps that RCMP and highways go through in order to make the decision to officially close that highway, Sergeant? Um, well, ultimately, the responsibility lies with the police, but uh, we always engage with uh, highways and to make a joint decision. Um, it's basically when it just simply becomes too safe, too dangerous uh, for people to be out there, and not only those people, but for rescue workers, whether it be fire, ambulance, tow trucks, the police, whatever it may be, it gets to the point that it's just not safe for anybody else to be out there. So that's when we need to to um, to close them. So to my knowledge, they were closed about 7.20 yesterday morning. And like you said, come rush hour in the evening, 6 o'clock, there were still people coming out onto those roads. At what point did the conversation start, Sergeant Hume, that you need to get out there and figure out how to at least get to people and make sure they're okay, whether it's by snowmobile or, or whatever the RCMP might be using to try to help people either get unstuck or just to do those well-being checks? Yeah, as soon as we have people stuck for a lengthy amount of time, we're trying to get out there to, like you said, do well-being checks and make sure people are okay. I know last night they had uh, snowmobiles and, and uh, a city bus and a few other things ready to go. They actually got the highway uh, cleared and enough people pulled out. They ended up not using um, the snowmobiles or anything to rescue the people. Some people were shuttled with police cars back to the bus to keep warm. Um realistically you know we're never going to abandon anyone and not come check on them just because the roads are closed but it just it makes it that much more dangerous and we don't have any magical solution to get through the roads either if the roads are being closed there's a reality that the emergency services may not physically be able to get there to check on you Uh, last night luckily we were uh, able to get to every single vehicle rcmp sergeant mark hume joining us live on 680 cjob sergeant thank you very much for joining us we appreciate it sir thank you Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, just want to quickly mention this, uh, that Wyerton Willie in Ontario is disagreeing with Nova yes, Scotia's Shubanakity Sam. Ontario's oh, Wyerton Willie yeah. claims an early spring is on the way. So There you go. We'll see what kind we- of rodent is he? Still a groundhog? Still the same situation? Uh, All groundhogs? I... <laughs> I don't I'm going to guess yes. I don't know why I put you on the spot. Like, we're going to go now to our groundhog expert, Brett McGarry. Brett, what species of groundhog is Wyerton Willie? I forgot. I think st- he's an albino groundhog. <laughs> I forgot to study up okay. on my small woodland creatures. I'm sorry. Well, I'm only listening to the ones that tell me this is over soon. That's it. Uh, Wyerton Willie. Greg's on the, on the case. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think the original one passed away anyway we'll have to do some investigating <laughs> why on the, do you uh, always got to take it there like can't we just talk that's like the third time in a row sam's dead phil's dead <laughs> i can tell Where's you that new, new jersey's uh, milltown mel has died just before like yesterday oh, um, oh no, no. yeah oh. so um so that's uh, phil's counterpart in the u.s punk phil by the way is calling for the long winter as well it's jets wednesday it's brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart, southbeachcasino.ca. Last night, the Winnipeg Jets were unable to capitalize on the momentum, which might have been created in Saturday's 4-1 win over Saint, in St. Louis over the Blues. 
Yeah, the Jets found themselves on the wrong side of a 3-1 to score in Philly. The loss to the Flyers, combined with the Calgary Flames' 4-3 win over Dallas, means the Jets head into this All-Star break seven points out of a playoff spot in the West, Greg. Yeah, and uh, Loren, it could get worse. Calgary plays tonight. They could actually make it nine points. Uh, and uh, Kelly Moore, thanks for the heads up on that this morning. The 2021-22 season began with so much promise. A team with rock-solid goaltending, tremendous scoring talent, and strength at the all-important important center position the team had addressed its consensus weakness defense with the acquisition of two solid veteran blue liners over the summer leah hextall joins us now veteran hockey broadcaster espn play-by-play commentator and crucial piece of our jets coverage on cgob joins us now good morning leah Good morning, everyone. How are we this morning? Well, I'm a, I'm a little down. I got to say, I love yes. these six o'clock games because like I can it. watch the games. And so I was going to ask you, how did things get to this point for the Jets? Like uh, we may, maybe we have part of the answer from uh, center Mark Shifley here. This goes back to last week when he was asked if this team has an identity. Here's part of his answer. Probably not. No. Um, you know, that's what we're trying to figure out. We're trying to figure out what, uh, you know what that is and you know like I said before it's it, it comes from within this room and we got to figure out in this in this in this group of guys so we got to lean on each other we got to stick together and, and keep fighting for that so the answer to that question feels pretty obvious obvious Leah when one of the assistant captains says uh, no we probably don't you know when you think about this Greg and when we spoke after Paul Maurice resigned it was only a couple days last time we chatted and I remember saying at that time I'm not sure who the Winnipeg Jets are right now. And and that seemed okay at the moment because they had just had a major shuffle that they were not expecting. They've had a few of those major shuffles over the last few years, but it's really disheartening because when you think of the Winnipeg Jets and I go back to say, let's say about 2015 when the Jets were really starting to come and they were really starting to churn, you could easily, and pretty much anyone in Canada or in the league could speak to what you would expect when you played the Winnipeg Jets. You were in, a hard hockey game. It was not easy to play against the Jets. They took up all the space out there on the ice. They had a physical style of play. They had talent. They had world-class goaltending. And it was very easy to decipher what their identity was every time the Jets stepped onto the ice. The Jets of that time would have gone into that game last night against the Philadelphia Flyers team, tied at one apiece. This is a Flyers team that had just had a 13-game losing skit, has had a very difficult season, and had only won one game. And they would have gone in that third period, and they would have closed out that game. They would have won that hockey game. That is what the Winnipeg Jets would have been able to accomplish even, say, two seasons ago because they could lean on that identity. And that just isn't there anymore. Those pieces to the puzzle aren't there. And I think what we all have to understand is, yes, that's Mark Shifley as you know, a member of this team that dons an A on his sweater stating that he's not sure and that the players in that room have to figure it out. They do need to figure that out. But the tone also comes from the top. So what is the philosophical identity? And if the players don't know, if the players can't tell you what it means to be a Winnipeg Jet, we have an issue. And that comes from the top, not from within the room, in my opinion. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people point to Shifley and what he said. There's been talk about Wheeler in the months before and even now. And then, of course, one of the players that people are liking to talk about is Pierre-Luc Dubois. Is there a change in identity, at least this may be becoming, or in the process of becoming his team? 
You know, I, I wouldn't go against that, Laurent, at all. I mean, Pierre-Luc Dubois, we think about last season after the Patrick Laine trade, and by his own admission, he came in and didn't have the season that he wanted to have. But he's really been such a bright spot now here in Winnipeg. And, you know, he's playing so well. He's, he's everything. You know, it's interesting because you hear Barry Trott speak about, you know, when he talks about the members of his team as the Islanders, it's what, you know, it meant to be an Islander. When Mr. Gillies passed away, he said he was an Islander. And you can just see that identity in that player. And Pierre-Luc Dubois, when I look at him, Laurent, to your point, he is everything that I feel the Jets should play to. He has that physical presence. He's a heavy type of player. He's very strong on the puck. He takes up space up there, but he has offensive skill. He makes others around him better. And he has composure. So, would I agree with you? Like, I hope that this is a step for it to become Pierre-Luc Dubois' team. I think that could definitely be it. But I think he's lacking pieces. You know, we can't forget, it's not just the, about the loss of a Dustin Bufflin who provided that identity. It's the loss of a Brandon Tanev, who was always buzzing on the ice in the room. It's the loss of a Matthew Perot, who was always such a pest. Those weren't necessarily top six guys, but what they added. And it's just right now, when you watch the Winnipeg Jets, they are just too easy to play against, which is words I never thought I would utter about this hockey club. And Leah, before we get out of here, when the season began, the Jets were in the conversation about being the best team in Canada, the team to watch in the Central. So as we head towards the trade deadline, March 21st, are the Jets going to be sellers? If they're not in a playoff position, they have to be. There is no choice. I mean, let's just all face it. The likelihood of Andrew Kopp being in a Jets sweater after the season is not good. He, you know, I truly believe he will test the free agent market. I also don't think Paul Stasny will be back. You know, so why would you not get worth for those pieces if you are not in it to make a playoff run? And I'm not talking about just making the playoffs. I'm talking about making a run. Because I think, you know, what we all have to understand what is coming here in Winnipeg is that there's some really hard questions to answer in this offseason. And like I told you, when I talk about tone from the top, I'm talking about some ownership, management, coaching down. I think this group needs an identity, and I think they have to define it, and that could come by the March 21st trade deadline. Leah Hextall, veteran hockey broadcaster, joining us live on 680 CJOB to talk about the Jets. Leah, a pleasure as always. Thank you. Thank you all. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we were wondering when this news conference would happen, and Loren, it's happening today. Yeah, so Premier Heather Stephenson and Dr. Brent Rusin will be speaking at 12.30 today on what we knew was coming, as you mentioned, Brett. That is, of course, an update to the public health order. They extended it one week on Friday, but that kicked in, I think, Tuesday. So it goes till next Tuesday. I'm going to really muddy the waters here, but you've got about another week before things will change, but they're going to let us know today how things will be changing. All right, so that's coming up at 12.30. And right now we want to... Oh, and we just got a quick reminder. We're going to continue our mental health series today, the Global News 680 CJOB series on mental health. And we're going to talk about the link between mental health and going to the gym. So that's coming up at 835. But right now, I think that most Manitobans like to think they're rather hardy and able to handle our sometimes vicious winters. Yeah, I think we like to say we are, but what we say and what we do, as we always know, can be two very things. We might say we could handle a whiteout or we've experienced a whiteout or road closures or extreme temperatures, but are we really ready and do we know what to do 
or what we should be doing, Greg, when we're in those situations. Yeah, and maybe are we a little bit overconfident about what we're doing? Do you have a winter car kit? Huge question this morning. Do you know what you should do if you get stranded, like the drivers struck on our closed highways yesterday? Carl Nadeau has a pretty cool job. He's a professional race car driver and expert with Michelin and joins us now. Good morning, Carl. Good morning. Thanks for taking some time with us. I found myself on an overpass yesterday with all the wind and uh, snow blowing around. I was in a whiteout in a spot I never imagined I would find myself in one. I was uh, in a high-speed area, like I said, on an overpass, and the snow came over the concrete barrier and essentially blinded me. What do I do in a whiteout, which can be fairly common in our province this time of year? Whiteout is the worst situation. When it's slippery, you can always adjust the speed. You slow down and it really helps. But when you cannot see, that's the worst. And uh, uh, something that people do, unfortunately, when there's a whiteout, people tend to get closer to the windshield, thinking that they're going to see better in front of the car. And you're just adding a problem to another problem because as soon as your shoulder leaves the seat, uh, unfortunately, your driving is not as precise because basically you're leaning on the steering wheel. So if you have to react at the last second, your body is not in a position to do it. So stay comfortable in the seat and progressively slow down because if you can't see, people behind you can't see either. So you don't want to hit the brake because you don't see anything because you're going to get rear-ended. So one thing you can do, and you should do it with your eyes closed, you should be able to do it with your eyes closed, is hit the hazard lights. Because at least through the, the whiteout, people behind you will be able to see the blinking lights. And unfortunately, if I ask all of you right now, like, can you do it with your eyes closed in the driveway, hit the hazard light? Answer is probably going to be no. What should you do if you get out on the highway and you then realize you shouldn't be there? Do you, do you pull <laughs> over? Do you turn around? What do you do? The worst thing you can do is actually pull over. Uh, there's two things that can happen. First of all, people have target fixation. So when they see a car parked on the side of the road, they look at it and they, they, they might steer to the car without paying attention just because of target fixation. So if your car is, is basically, if your engine runs and you can drive, drive slowly with the hazard light on to the first exit. The last thing you want is stop on highway especially if it's slippery and there's no visibility, people will hit the brake at the last minute. They might lose control. And that's when you see pileups on the highway. So yeah, do never ever stop. Like it's something like you got to get ready before you leave home. And one of the things you have to do is make sure you have enough uh, windshield washer fluid. So you don't want to stop on highway to refill. And if you see that basically you're, you're going to run out, just take the first exit, stop, stop in a safe spot, and make sure you refill. And, of course, before you leave home, make sure you're not driving an igloo. So remove the snow from your car. It's, it's respect for other drivers. And, of course, if your car, the roof of your car is full of snow, the first time you hit the brake, it might go straight to the windshield and the windshield wiper. They're not going to be able to clear all that. The instinct. We just have about thirty seconds here, Carl. But the instinct is to you want to get out of there, right? You're just so kind of 
stress that you want to immediately get off that road. So you want to say progressively slow down, as you say. And then am I looking for a safe approach to then pull over onto? Because I've been in that situation before where I thought I, I should just turn around, but a U-turn could be a terrible decision in those kinds oh, yeah. of situations. <laughs> Well, it's it's a death wish, basically doing a, a, a U-turn. So people should listen to what, what you're, you're you're telling them with weather network and and the road condition reports. So before you leave home, make sure that you avoid those spots. But if you're there, yeah, the the best thing you can do is drive slowly to the first exit, get off the highway, and just wait. But again, make sure before you leave that you have four good high quality winter tires on your car that the tire pressures are good, you have enough gas in your tank. Because if you get stuck on the highway for some reason, uh, basically you want to make sure you can get back home safely. Carl Nadeau, a professional race car driver and expert with Michelin, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Carl, thank you very much for this. We appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Be careful out there. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. A reminder, we are asking you, if you were stranded, and look, we realize getting stranded, especially for 13 hours, like some people yesterday on the road, that that stinks and can be scary and frightening. But we're, you know, just trying to lighten that up a little bit by asking if you had to be stranded, which item outside of the emergency items, which one would you like to have? And uh, Norm put a smile on her face, Loren, with his suggestion. Yeah, I like the combo that he's come up with here. Of course, some people are suggesting different foods, board games, all the rest. Norm says, I would like Bob Irving in my car so we could talk about Blue Bombers and sports and maybe he could sing a Shania song while we wait. Yes, Bob Irving, a very big Shania Twain fan. (laughs) That was great, Norm. Uh, Yeah, that would be Awesome, because we we talk to him every Monday morning at 8.35 about sports, and I feel like we could talk to him for four hours, but we got like eight minutes. So, uh, yeah, we'd <laughs> like a bit more time. And, uh, Greg, we, what did we call it the other day? Some must-see YouTube at 12.30. That's where I'll be in front of my television. What's happening? Premier Heather Stephenson, Dr. Brent Rusin, Chief Provincial Public Health Officer at 12.30, will deliver an update on public health orders and if you're not in front of a television in front of a smart tv or computer make sure you're tuned in here to 680 cjob we will carry this live once again at 12 30 it's the premier and dr brent rusin an update on public health orders and it is groundhog day and manitoba merv has made the call that it's going to be a long cold winter we had shubanakity sam in nova scotia make that same call wyerton willie in ontario disagrees uh, the marmot over there disagrees, but uh, Punk's Tony Phil in the U.S. as well says uh, more and more winter. So with that... This is pitiful. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. You know, you want a prediction about the weather, you're asking the wrong Phil. I'll give you a winter prediction. It's going to be cold, it's going to be gray, and it's going to last you the rest of your life. Wow. Phil sounds like he could use some help with his mental health. Now, the Global News and CJOB Health Series, presented by Body Measure. So as we continue our two-week series on health, specifically mental health, and the news that we are going to be looking at, low more winter weather, that's probably going to bring some people down. So today, we're going to look at the link between your mental well-being and going to the gym. 
Yeah, and I think it's safe to say, Brad, historically speaking, this would be the time of year where you would notice more and more people working out at your gym. After all, it's a popular New Year's resolution, Loren, and those that have made it through the first month usually stick around. Yeah, but here's one of the challenges. Exercising and going to the gym has become a very important part of people's routines throughout this entire pandemic, but we know there's been so many stops and starts for so many businesses, including gyms. 980 CKNW's John Jang with more. If there's one thing we've learned throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, it's just how important physical exercise really is. Not just for our bodies, making sure we're active and in good shape, but also for our mental health. Sarah Hodson, the president and CEO of Live Well Exercise Clinic, can explain. We've long known how much our mental health can benefit from physical activity. Uh, the research is is definitely there, uh, but this is the first time that just um, as people we felt it right um, that back when March 2020 our first lockdown um, and you know there is a different few scenarios that really kind of fleshed this out for people there was the all of us all of a sudden working from home aspect where we weren't in the office maybe getting up from our desk and walking to even just use the washroom or the lunchroom or um, walking up and down the stairs to you know go out and grab a coffee getting some fresh air, all of these natural ways that we actually would move our body when we're working in an office space and with a team were kind of taken away from us. And so I think for the first time, Canadians really felt the impact of this more sedentary life and this lack of physical activity and the toll that it was taking on our mental health. Dr. Eli Putterman, an associate professor at the School of Kinesiology at the University of British Columbia, explains the chemical process that turns physical exercise into very useful brain fuel. Like when we contract our muscles, we release this, uh, this compound called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And that actually enters our brain and helps our brain think better and feel better. And there's also endocannabinoids, the internal cannabinoids or internal marijuana pretty much that happens within our body and in our brain when we move our bodies and that's what helps us stay so calm when we're working out and after we're working out that's what makes us feel calm so there's so much that is happening within our body within our brains that really leads to this feeling of more positive and also more calm in, in within our within our days and while so many different industries and businesses have struggled through the global pandemic, some gyms and fitness centers have seen a significant rise in membership numbers in the past two years. People are more in a state of readiness than ever before. And so I believe that as we psych psychologically free ourselves from maybe the fear of participating um, in by going into a gym, by coming into a Live Well exercise clinic, um, you know, we are going to see membership levels rise drastically. And when we look globally, that is what we're seeing. We are seeing countries who are ahead of us. They're, they're exceeding pre-pandemic membership levels in fitness. People are running back to fitness in a big way. And Canada is the next to see this trend. And I believe that it is needed and is exciting. And it's an opportunity for all Canadians to be more active. Dr. Putterman has one theory as to why so many of us are now signing up at the gym, even beyond the physical benefits. The Canadian Medical Association has stated that for mild to moderate depression, a first line of attack for depression 
uh, should not be medication, but should be physical activity, psychological support, and physical activity is now being pushed. But while some gyms and fitness centers have enjoyed a surge in interest and membership, they've also had to endure closures and lockdowns. You know, it's um, it's it's definitely been a, a really challenging two years for the fitness industry. And, you know, we are a group of, of businesses and professionals who are committed to safely serving the best interests of Canadians. Um, so being closed at times has been sometimes confusing. It has been, you know, riddled with anxiety and stress. Um, but ultimately, I think that it has created a movement amongst the public to truly, again, understand and redefine what fitness meant to them. Traversing the COVID-19 pandemic is not easy. We are challenged every single day to stay healthy and happy. But now we know that committing ourselves to physical exercise is just another way of doing exactly that. For the 2022 Health Series, I'm John Jang. Thank you very much, John Jang. And I don't know about uh, you, Greg. I know that uh, I had I had a gym membership before the pandemic. I was going to Planet Fitness. This is back when we were at uh, the Polo Park location. So Planet Fitness was right down the street on Empress. So it was easy to just get in my car, walk to, or go down the street and go to the gym. And I was going pretty regularly. I wasn't a gym rat. And it wasn't like I was getting all buff and stuff. But uh, I was feeling pretty good about myself. And I was happy with some of the progress that I was making. And then the pandemic hit. And uh, when the gyms did reopen, I think I went once or maybe twice. And uh, then I just, I think they closed again. But I just sort of fell off it. And I've been meaning to get back to a gym, but I keep, I keep doing what so many of us do. I just make, keep making excuses. I don't have time or I'm too lazy, etc., etc. Excuses, excuses. Well, I can make a ton of excuses. I'm sitting, I don't know, one, two, three feet, three and a half, four feet from a Nordic track. That's got a nice little uh, layer of dust on it. I haven't been on it at all. I have been, uh, I had planned to join the gym at Portage in Maine. Um, just, just after Christmas. And then of course I got sent home uh, probably a couple of days after I discovered we actually get a staff discount, Loren, at this gym. So I was excited about that. So I would have been really uh, stuck between a rock and a hard place, having a membership at this gym and getting there. So I have excuses. I have intentions. I have to turn uh, both those things into action. I have a gym membership. (laughs) Is that there's a period after that? Is that the end of your statement there? I have one. I don't I thought that's is that not the question? Is it uh using it versus having it? Well, the challenge was you know, it was the stops and starts, and so things got put on hold with that membership, which was great of them to do because that can't be easy to say fine, like don't pay or cancel, you can't come. Like then they they ate months of that. And then eventually I, I think we got to the summer where like things kicked back in. And my intention was starting in the fall, we were going to be back at work. And so it's really, it's not hard. It's not hard for me to get in car and drive to the gym. That's not an issue. It's just that when I was working, I was passing it on the way home, right? So I would literally have to go buy it and like wear Mm -hmm. blinders to not see it. Like, I can't see you, Jim. I'm not seeing you today. And there was really no excuse. And so it made it really easy to go when I was going into work. Now it's so different. It's like getting up and going and planning your day around going to targeting it versus it being incorporated as part of my day. But I've kept it going with the hope of getting back to it. 
I loved it. I, my gym had a pool, which is why I signed up. I loved swimming. I loved all the interactive classes they had, and I just haven't been able to use any of them. So I have a gym membership, and I will get there this month. That will be my goal. I'm not going to say this week, but this month I will. And here's another excuse I've made for myself. They, uh, uh, like, We have a gym in our apartment building, which also has a pool and a hot tub, and all they need is for me to just provide my uh, proof of vaccination, and that's it. And I haven't even done that. Like, I haven't even looked into what I'm supposed to do. I probably just need to take a picture and email it to them, which would take me all of 30 seconds. And then they would uh, activate my fob so I could get into the uh, the gym. But I haven't done it. So excuses, excuses. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, $20 gift card, Santa Lucia pizza to give away. We're asking you, what would you like to have in your car in case you got stranded? And we're just having a little bit of fun with that. We know it's a serious thing. We know being stuck in your car on the highway for several hours stinks and can be outright scary and dangerous. But you can still just lighten up that conversation a touch. And, uh, Loren, why don't you start us off with Don? Because Don weighed in on something a bunch of people uh, were, were saying. Yeah, we had so many people talk about maybe it'd be good to have a board game with you or books or cards or something like that. Well, Don said, I would have a deck of cards with me as well. If I get stranded or lost, I'll start playing solitaire. And within minutes, there will be someone looking over my shoulder saying, um, the seven goes on the eight there, which I love. <laughs> That's the way to get them to come to you and rescue you, Don. Just pull out some cards, play some solitaire so someone else can tell you where you're going wrong. This uh, decision, by the way, came down to the wire, like basically one second before we went on the air. We had a very late entry, so we're going to get to that one in just a moment. But, Greg, we did also, we all liked uh, Angela as, uh, uh, she's our runner-up here. If I became stranded, I would make sure I had some of my art supplies to keep me busy and distracted. I would also make sure to have a big bag full of batteries with some of my favorite cassette tapes yeah! and my portable cassette player. <laughs> I need music to get me through the day. Don't forget a pencil, Angela. You'll need a pencil <laughs> in case your tape gets stuck in said portable cassette player. And our winner, who honestly texted us like 30 seconds before he went on the air, is Doug. And Loren, what did Doug have for us? If I'm stranded, what I'd need would be a power supply, smoker, and a whole hog ready to go, <laughs> along with a six-pack of de-alcoholized beer, because, of course, after all, I would be driving. Doug, Whoa, I like where you're going. It's like camp, camp waitress at 645 said a rotisserie chicken. <laughs> Doug, just double down with a whole hog. I, <laughs> I'm intrigued. Doug would be the most popular guy on oh, that yeah. side of that highway. Danny's whole hog needs to get into the roadside assistance uh, preparation <laughs> business. <laughs> well, Doug, it's not a whole hog, but you get $20 gift card for Santa Lucia pizza for that. Thanks to all for playing along. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb coming up at 12.30 today. Premier Heather Stephenson and Dr. Brent Rusin will be reading the new public health orders to us, the new update at 12.30. That will be carried live on 680 CJOB. And speaking of reading, for the second year in a row, we're not able to get out into the classroom for I Love to Read Month. And... Uh, it makes me laugh when I think about how much I actually enjoy that because I'm the one who's so like, I don't have kids and I've, I'm inept around kids and I don't know how to talk to them. And I just kind of like 
look at them and go, hi, uh, how are you? You know, I, I think maybe that's why they kind of like me because I just sort of talk to them like, like I don't sort of, hello, how are you? Oh, aren't you tall? I just like, hey, hey, man, how are you? Um, <laughs> but uh, I went to like eight schools, I think, in February of 2020, all over the city. And uh, some were even out of the city, visited a couple of daycares, which the daycare was an adventure for sure. With uh, I was basically uh, like, a, like a set of monkey bars for some of these kids, Greg. But uh, um, yeah, so it was fun. I will hopefully we'll be able to get, to get back to that um, next year, I guess. Yeah, no question. And it is uh, one of the highlights of the winter, without doubt. Our goal this year is still the same, Brett, to celebrate reading and local children's authors. While we can't read books to students, CJOB and Global are working to create an online collection of local authors reading their own books. And I know some of us are going to be doing some reading online via Zoom. And every week this month, Loren, we're going to feature one of these local authors reading their own books. Yeah, so first up with us this morning, we have Ava Clausen. Ava is the author of Fox in a Box and Ed in the Shed, and her bio is a ton of fun. It says she's the inventor of floor salad and paper tape shoes. I got a lot of questions about this, Ava. And her superpower is figuring out how to carry everything she needs on her bike while using just her backpack and scarf. So we are so pleased to welcome to the start Ava Clausen. Good morning. Good morning. I know we're here to talk about the books, but can I can I ask what do you mean by floor salad and paper tape <laughs> shoes? I was a little bit worried this question was going to come up. <laughs> so it's funny that that's the first one. Um, so floor salad, I made this like really lovely like pasta salad, and I was bringing it into the dining room for my family. We, it was a new recipe. I tripped on a cord, and like most of the salad fell onto the floor. Uh, but the part that remained in the bowl is what I served to my family. And so I jokingly referred to it as floor salad. I may or may not have eaten some of the salad that didn't end up on the floor. We'll never know. <laughs> no judgment here. Yeah. No. And then, this is a good time uh, for a the, confession, Ava. I know. On live radio, right? <laughs> and then the paper and tape then, shoes before I know. And, and again, the, we will talk about your books, but why just get the, well, get the hard stuff out of the way. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, paper tape shoes. When I was young, I really loved making things. So this ties nicely into the book. I had these like really old newspapers that we had found like in the walls of an old house that were being renovated. And so I like made shoes out of first the paper and then covered them in like, um, you know, the plastic clear packing tape. I made a nice little sole on the bottom and I ended up wearing the shoes for like quite a long time during the summertime. They were quite comfortable, but they were just made out of paper and tape. Okay, so many questions out of this, and I really want to ask how old the newspapers were, where was this house, but why don't we talk about the, the books that you've written. Sure. Fox in a Box, Ed in the Shed, is there a dog in the bog on the, on the horizon here? Tell us about these books. You know what? You're on the right track for sure. There is one about a dog, but we won't get into that today. <laughs> um, yeah, Fox in a Box is the the first children's book that I uh, released with local illustrator Leanne uh, Thiessen. Um, and that was released in 2019. It's just a really sweet children's story about kind of if you have excess possessions, uh, rather than just letting them accumulate, you can you can gain a lot personally from just giving them away or giving them to somebody who's in need. And then our second book, Ed in the Shed, which was released um, just a couple of months ago, is about this 
sweet little beaver who's actually, there is an Ed in my life. Um, he's just this, this tinkerer, this fixer. If something is broken, you fix it. If you have, you know, if it is broken and you can't fix it, what else can you do with it? Like using your, your imagination and just the power of creativity to kind of reuse and rip, repurpose items rather than throwing them away or them ending up in the landfill. As far as those illustrations go, how important is it to have good illustrations in these children's books? Oh, it's so important. I, it's hard to describe how important it is. I always say, like, the story, like, the words are one thing, but the illustrations, I feel, just bring it to life. Like, the two of them really support each other, and... Like working as a team, they both make the book just better than it could have been on their own. Um, and local illustrator Leanne, she's a dream to work with. Like she has four kids, she has a job, she has a side hustle. I wouldn't even call it a side hustle anymore. She's very busy running her own business. And she had time to illustrate the book. And she's just so, she's just a dream to work with and so talented and just really. Yeah, I can't say enough about how important illustrations are. Yeah, I'm looking at the book Ed in the Shed now, and it's just the pictures are wonderful, but so is just the text mm-hmm. that you use. It's not too much for the kids to take in, just mm-hmm. enough for them to want to be drawn to it. And you had mentioned, Ava, that did you say Ed is based on someone in your real life? Ed the yes, Beaver? Actually, <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, so he's my father in law. And the way this story came about is Fox in a Box had come out. We were sitting around the dinner table at their house in the country. They have a big yard with, coincidentally, a really large shed packed with, like, old things, just bits of this, parts of that, just, like, a really creative space where if you need to do something, you can probably find what you need in that space. So we were sitting around the dinner table. And we were like... Um, I think my mother-in-law had mentioned something about, oh, yeah, Ed in the shed. And both my partner and I look at each other and start laughing. And we're like, oh, my goodness, that would make such a good book. I went home the next day. I wrote most of the text. It came, it kind of flowed very naturally and very easily. I did have to rework a bunch of things, and that took a while. But it was just like when I shared the story with friends and with family, they were like, oh, this reminds me of my dad or, oh, this reminds me of someone in my family. So it really seemed to connect with people because it seems a lot of people have an Ed in their life. And so I just thought like, what a wonderful way to both connect and put out a message, especially in an age where, you know, there's so many things that we can do to, um, to protect our environment and just ways that we can change our actions to, just like create a better world and a better earth for ourselves and the generations to come. Um, And so I just thought it was very timely. And like now is the time to do Ed in the Shed. Well, I don't know if you need to be invited into Ed's Shed, but you are supposed to be invited into my garage. You could do a book (laughs) called The Wren in Greg's Garage. She invaded my garage a couple summers ago, and I, I think Ed Shed and my garage are very similar. But I'm curious, Ava, as to who were the children's authors that you enjoyed when when you were little. I'm surrounded by little kids' books right now. I'm putting some piles together for kids in my life because we like the the books to move along. But okay. who who inspired you, and and who were your favorites? Oh, when I was young, I had a lot of favorites. Um. One of them in particular is Phoebe Gilman, who wrote uh, The Balloon Tree, I think it is. It's just, 
it captures your imagination. It's just like really great illustrations, everything you would want out of a book. Um, another title actually by uh, Phoebe Gilman is The Jillian Jigs. Um, I don't know if you know, but it's like Jillian, Jillian, Jillian Jigs. It looks like her room has been lived in by pigs. So like, I feel like I've always been drawn to that kind of rhyming, that scheme, because I think it's yeah. it's very catchy. It's easy to remember. It's easy for kids to latch onto. Um, yeah. I would say those were among my favorites. There were lots, but those were probably the top. And why do you think it's important for to have a month, an I love to read month? Uh, like for, for me, it's a, it's sort of like a, an important reminder to stop watching so much TV and maybe mm-hmm. pick up a book in once in a while. But why is it important to you? I think anything that encourages kids to read or draws attention to what reading can do for both kids and adults is really important. I know for me, when I was young, reading and going to the library got me through a lot. Like when there were difficult times or, you know, if I was going through something challenging, it always seemed that if there was a book and I could get lost in the book and kind of like live in this really beautiful world that this author and illustrator created even just temporarily it really it really did a lot for me as a kid and i think especially in this time of you know we've been in covid for over two years we're always hearing about like mental health and how we really need to care for our mental health for me personally i find getting into a good book getting lost in a book and really just enjoying that time that i'm spending just kind of like sitting and quiet and relaxing reading a book is just so important to me. I don't know. There's it, there's such a great feeling, Ava, when you get, you know, sometimes it's a few lines in and you know right away like you're going to love what you're about to mm-hmm. read or you might be a chapter in, it might take you a while, but that feeling of once you're in it and you think, here I go, like I'm on a journey and it's like you're about to board a train and go somewhere. It's a pretty tremendous feeling of what a book can do. Yeah. Oh, I love that description. That's amazing. Yeah, I agree. When you continue on with your writing and and meet with your illustrator do you look around you for more inspiration you mentioned your father-in-law I'm just curious if any other friends of you yours say please do not make me a groundhog in your next book or anything like that I haven't had anyone approach me with like a warning like that but I, I do think that inspiration is all around um I won't get into it too deeply but long story short we bought a head of it's not a head of kale. It's like leaves of kale from a grocery store. And it was in my fridge for like an embarrassing amount of time, probably like 10 days, pulled it out of the fridge. I'm trying to like make some kale chips out of it. And I discover this snail in my kale and you can see where this is going. Yes. There's a snail in my kale. So there's, yeah, there's an entire story around that. Nobody's actually heard the story, but like there was this true snail he lived with us for two years his name was carl um he passed away unfortunately last summer and so we had a nice little like burial little memorial in the, the yard snail from the kale um, lived three two years yes yeah uh-huh we took really good care of him we fed <laughs> him like we did a lot of research into like what snails like to eat he really liked bananas and carrots uh, and cauliflower those were some of carl's favorite foods um but yeah, there's inspiration all around. Uh, there, you know, you mentioned earlier about a dog. I did write a story about a dog. Uh, 
it's like uh, something about a frog dog. But anyway, you know what? I won't get into it now. There's inspiration everywhere. You just kind of need to like be aware of it, be looking for it, and it'll just, yeah, it's there ready and waiting. Ava Clausen, the author of Fox in a Box and Ed in the Shed. And if you go to cjob.com and look for the I Love to Read Month page, you will be able to see Ava reading some of Ed in the Shed. Thank you very much, Ava, for joining us. What a pleasure this is. Uh, And we love this month. So, So thanks for being a part of it with us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.